Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And this is our belated Fall of X special where we are catching up with a bunch of the titles from Marvel's Fall of X line that we missed and getting ahead or on time, I guess, with the ones that are coming getting out Getting on time. Week. It's the autumn of X, and that's what we're celebrating here. It is. All. It's still very hot, and these titles are very hot. So why don't we kick it off? This was two weeks ago, I think, at this point, but only one title came out. Still worth talking about. Miss Marvel, The New Mutant Number 1, written by Sabir Perzada and Aman Vellani. TV's Miss Marvel herself, art by Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorham. Now, in this issue, we are getting Miss Marvel, who is now both an inhuman and a mutant, going to Empire State University to a science program run by Orcus. And there, of course, she runs into trouble. She runs into a little trouble. People find out almost immediately she's a mutant. And we meet the big villains. There's some romance stuff with Bruno. Obviously, there was a lot of anticipation here, given you got a TV star and a TV writer on a comic book. Not always the best formula for success. What did you think about this one, Justin? I think just from a, a writing perspective or a comic book perspective, I think this is a great first issue. It's, there's a lot going on. I mean, literally just your description of uh, Ms. Marvel right now is pretty crazy. So it, to, it's a lot to juggle, especially for a first-time comic writer. And I think it's it's really good. Uh, but a lot of it is sort of about Ms. Marvel's identity, not crisis, but sort of shifting identity and sort of figuring it out, which mm-hmm. is a really fun place to start. And then there is some Fall of X stuff in here that I think is actually pretty applicable. Yeah, that was the thing that was, I think, most interesting to me to talk about here, because I agree with you. It took me a little while to get into the comic because they have this whole extended dream sequence. Apparently, the book was at least in part based on a dream that Amon Vellani had. So that kind of makes sense. Cool. You get this character, Dr. Surfer, Surfer, excuse me, a mashup oh. of the Silver Surfer and Dr. Strange. That seems like I a weird mystery. I would love a Dr. Surfer. Oh, like, my God. Just as a primary care physician. That's, that's tough, though, to have them check you out while you're on the surfboard and they're on the surfboard. But that's a radical appointment. Think of the waiting room. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be amazing. Hang 10 and call me in the morning. <laughs> anyway, so you've got this whole dream sequence thing that seems to be going through. you got the romance stuff with Bruno, which I thought was great. They, like, crushed it with that. Um, those yeah. scenes were just really good. And I think, you know, when you've lived in that stuff as much as Abad Vladi has on set on the show, because that's a big part of the show, I get how you can really nail that. 
I was a little thrown by the idea that Miss Marvel only has her X-Men uniform and is like, okay, be really chill. Go underground at Empire State University. And she's like, sounds good. And walks out of her X-Men uniform, immediately gets identified as a mutant and it all blows up. Um, I was a little iffy about that choice because it seemed like it blew up the premise immediately. Do you agree or what do you think? Well, in a way, I get that from, I guess, a logic point of view, but from sort of the emotional underpinnings of the character where it's like about establishing, look, I am this now and taking ownership of the things that compose her identity. I think it makes sense. She's like, I'm an X-Man. So I'm going to put this X on here and that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of willfully being who you are, I think is the nice message in here. And it plays, plays well. Cause I think that's the, the stuff like you were talking about the emotional stuff that really worked. That's all of that same piece. In the bigger fall of X picture. The thing that I think is a really interesting wrinkle here is Orcus sponsoring the science program at Empire State University yeah. Empire State University, for anybody who doesn't know, is a stand-in for Columbia University, which is all the way uptown in Manhattan here in New York. So it's kind of the same thing. So in Fall of X, we've definitely seen the public supports Orcus. They've been pushing the narrative of this mutant massacre. We've seen people very positive. But the way that it's been depicted in previous books, to me, feels like the very typical anti-mutant crowd, you know, like the... Mm like a fringe of society, clearly a lot of people and it's very bad. And that sort of stuff obviously exists in the real world in terms of prejudice as well, but it's a different level to have this organization sponsoring a science program at a New York city university that appropriately, I think is new levels of uncomfortable for me, a person who lives in New York city. Right. Well, but I think that's what they're saying is the worldview like that, the, the the Marvel universe is in right now. The like hating, fearing and hating mutants is at an all time public sentiment high, I think. Mm-hmm. To the point where I, I think they're saying like this could even be a sponsored program at the you know in New York City. Yeah, uh, this isn't exactly the same thing, and not to get too controversial or political about it necessarily, but as we're taping this, uh, September 11th just happened, and there's been a lot of discussion this year, I think, about the terror budget in the United States and how, of course, it's a horrific tragedy how many people died on September 11th. I was a couple of blocks uptown, one of the worst days of my life. Uh, so just to own that and get that out there. But at the same time, people pointing out that we've spent approximately a billion dollars a day on this fight on terror that could have been put into infrastructure and schools and all of these other things that, of course, is keeping people safe. And I understand why there was the immediate reaction. But 22 years down the line, how much of that money and how much of those resources are actually going to the proper place, I think... That's something maybe they're riffing off of here, potentially, particularly you have a Muslim American superhero. I think that subtext has to be played with in some way or at least thought about in some way in terms of how they're putting it in here, Um, though, as usual for comic books, through the lens of mutants, through the lens of superheroics. Yeah, and to the point earlier, that that's another interesting area to play with here, but there are a lot. So I'm curious how we're sort of going to spool out these different ideas. But I guess are you are, I should ask, are you saying our real-world Stark Sentinel program is a bad investment? <laughs> I don't know, man. Those robots keep me safe, and they're gorgeous to look at. I hope to be a Stark Sentinel pilot someday. <laughs> well, think about that. Uh, but I do, uh, to talk about the X... The X of it all in this book, we've got 
uh, Kate Pride mm-hmm. hanging out a little bit. We've got the new newly announced X-Men team that we really haven't seen at all with uh, Rasputin, Sink, mm-hmm. Talon. So is this going to be like where we see those characters? Because Rasputin especially, I'm like, what's going on here? This yeah. is a character from the future. Come back. I feel like this character has a lot of answers potentially or at least is important but mm-hmm. we don't know anything about her. I do at the very least like the bit of Miss Marvel the ultimate fangirl having another character who fangirls over her. That was a fun yeah. little riff. I understand what you're saying though. I feel like we've been they went to the X weeks later. They jumped ahead. We're in this new status quo. Some of the books are playing catch up, which we're going to get to one in a moment there, but there does need to be some sort of explanation about how these team dynamics work, how these X-Men work, if these are the X-Men, because we haven't seen it much. There's so much going on in so many books. I, I, I guess maybe what this is getting towards is, do you feel like Fall of X has a central focus? It doesn't need a central focus, or is it, like we've been talking about, it's more of a line-wide vibe? It's definitely gone from a very focused moment that we talked about with the Hellfire Gala into sort of the Krakowification where it's like, all right, now all this other stuff is happening. And I wish there was a central book. I feel like there are less so a central book, but a central week mm-hmm. where sort of the big uh, narrative pushing books come out, which is was the next week after this Miss Marvel book came out. And that, I think, is the central story. But I do wish we had more guideposts because I think that was a lot of people's issues with the Krakoan era was like, what is this sort of swamp of story I'm in? Where there's great stuff, interesting stuff happening, but I don't know what the main narrative is that I can hang my hat on. Yeah. Well, why don't we jump ahead and continue to get caught up here? We'll jump to last week's book, starting with X-Men number 26, written by Jerry Dugan, art by James Tao and Javier Pina. And the other one that came out last week was Immortal X-Men number 15, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Paco Medina. To contradict what we just said, I almost feel like this double hit of X-Men and Immortal X-Men that's come out two months in a row, that that's our center. Like Jerry Dugan, yeah. like we talked about, it's very much a team effort, but he's the guy, like he's the man in the chair right now who's driving yeah. a lot of this stuff. And Kieran Gillen is wild and out there, but he's the one, he's anchoring Krakoa and Jerry Dugan is anchoring really White Queen, who kind of is the central figure of a lot of this stuff. She's the one who, while Professor X is off growing his beard on what's left of Krakoa, she's the one that's really like pushing forward, teaming up with Tony Stark trying to figure this out, trying to figure out how the mutants survive. So I I really like the pairing of these books. I think they go yeah. really well together. I do too. Like, and not not to contradict what I said before, like the, I think these are sort of the main, where the main story comes from, but these books themselves are still doing a ton. Yes. And I don't know what characters I'm following. Mm-hmm. I like in this book that we got, uh, we get the, the Kate Pride a Firestar confrontation that was sort of like, oh, this is going to be like this big lead up. And I'm glad that we just dealt with it and are moving on now because I, I don't want to see these two characters fight. Firestar has enough problems that she doesn't need <laughs> the best assassin who's also her friend trying to kill her. Yeah. I also, so in X-Men, we have two storylines going. One is this Firestar Shadowcat fight. The other one is playing catch up where we're getting to the point where Tony Stark and Emma Frost are getting married in a, 
very weird, like Rob Cobb way where he falls yeah, to what he happens to be on his knee. It's like, Oops. that's how most marriages happen. Yeah. I worry about that constantly. I'm going to lean down to, you know, tie my shoe or something. And somebody will say, yes, I will marry you. And I'll be like, I'm already and suddenly married. you're bringing home a second wife oh, again, man. Alex. Come on. Oh, that's boy. complicated. What am I? I there's so many TLC accidental- couples. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Too many wives coming soon to TLC. <laughs> the accidental proposals are great, but accidental divorce, where you accidentally sign a bunch of divorce paperwork. Yeah, you trip and fall and like sign your name. The worst. Whoops. <laughs> Happens all the time. But I mean, it is interesting to like we're talking about how like this. These are the central X books. And Tony Stark is one of the most important characters. And he's right. just being he's being a very fun Tony Stark. And I actually a book a couple weeks ago really liked the Iron Man. I think it was the Iron Man book where mm-hmm. it was a really nice actual connection between White Queen and, and Tony Stark. This has less real connection and more goofy rom-com stuff. But I'm still invested in this and surprised that Iron Man is such a focus. Yeah, I also really like, yes, that's what I was going to get to is we also got to catch up in terms of Kingpin and his new status quo. And I I know we've been iffy when we've been talking about on this dedicated podcast, the idea of Kingpin being a central character of the X-Men. But it's right there, King in the name, sort of make him the white king. He wears white suits, come on, uh, of the Hellfire Club. I kind of love it in this new status quo. And to the point that, like, I would legit read a Kingpin spinoff book, Kingpin, White King of the Hellfire White Club King, or whatever. Yeah. White Kingpin? What? <laughs> maybe a di- maybe a slightly different title. Yeah, we could we could workshop it a little bit. What if well if he's gonna be the white king, we also need to he- have him be the head pin at a, a bowling <laughs> You know, the the front pin. Yeah, yeah. That's really you gotta really hit hard to knock down. Yeah, it's like a classic superhero thing. Like you got Peter Parker and Spider Man, you got Pin King and King Pin. Yeah, exactly. Pin King. I mean <laughs> That's a Who Dan Slot. That's a Dan Slot story if I've ever heard one. Like, get, that's good. <laughs> uh, but I like that. But I do. I agree with you. I was going to say I, I do like Wilson Fisk here. I think the role is good, especially when you think about the typhoid Mary side. I I want to get that story out there because I think it's like just sitting there. He's like, "Where's my wife that I love that he gave up crime to go be with? She's vanished into." Jutenheim, right? And he's like, <laughs> he's just hanging Vanaheim, out. Yeah. Uh, Vanaheim, yeah. And he's like hanging out with the other X-Men. But I want to see him be like, bring me back my wife or, or something. Like whatever his attitude's going to be, I think uh, will be fun. We also get a little Miss Marvel here following up on her storyline and keeping her in the fold. Yeah. And just a little uh, plug about that Typhoid Mary thing. I think this is going to go up probably next week. But we had a chat with Torin Gronbach, who writes well with <sighs> X. Great chat, really good. Great had interview. some interesting things to say about the team dynamic, where that title is going. That's a limited series as well. So I do think we're going to get that Typhoid Mary Kingpin reunion at some point, probably in the pages of X-Men, but I guess we'll see. For the Immortal X-Men thing, uh, we're also splitting our time here a little bit, right? Between Sebastian yeah. Shaw and Celine and their continued attack on Krakoa. We get a lot of vampire Celine in this book. Uh, and Fun. then, uh, oh my gosh, I'm completely blanking what the other half of the story Exodus. Was. Exodus, there we go, yes. Exodus, Exodus and, Hope. and Hope. 
uh, just like wander on the desert. The, this is funny to me because it's like, well, we got our shirt making mutants making shirts. We got everybody collecting dew. It's such a logistics. Uh, I, maybe I said this on the stack, but like yeah. it's a real. And like, I think I said this on the stack too, but I love it. I love yeah. the idea. It's such a Kieran Gillen thing. I think what we were talking about is like it's a D&D campaign and being like, okay, how do we actually logistically get this stuff together and make this work? But I don't know. I think something that gets lost with the X-Men sometimes is the weirder X-Men. That's something that Grant Morrison pushed very heavily in their run to make X-Men weird again, you know, because they're usually like, oh, we're all regular, beautiful humans with these powers that make us sad for some reason, except for Nightcrawler, who's like a demon hung out into the corner and he's the happiest one. So (laughs) to have the ones that are like, yep, uh, yeah, I shed my skin and we're going to sew your skin into shirts and you're going to wear the shirts. Great. Uh, More of that weirdness, please. We also continue the mystery of where these 250,000 mutants are. Do you feel like there are any more clues in this issue, what's going on with that? Because I'm still very much in the dark here. I mean, we're getting the, the last page reveal is apocalypse. So how are they not on Araco? Like on on Mars. Yeah. On Mars. Yeah. So maybe they're somewhere else, but why would he be there? His whole thing is being on apocalypse in a book. We're going to talk about from uh, this upcoming week is set there also. And they talk about apocalypse being there. So, that's a big clue. I would rather it was somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think it, it a more mysterious place would be better. And to the point of this book being like a D&D Settlers of Catan style campaign, I'd rather it was someplace weirder, like even mm-hmm. Weird World specifically, like where they can just be doing things and discovering things and struggling to survive, but still having like strange things happen that can keep them buoyed. Well, the other question is whether that actually is apocalypse. We last left him in the lead up to fall of X. I think he was heading through one of the portals somewhere. We didn't know where, so he could be heading here. That could actually be him. But we also have all these different variations of Wolverine who are no better than feral dogs who could be attacking people that could tie into the run of Wolverine where beast was making a bunch of clone Wolverines. It could be something entirely different. But the other big thing that we have here that I think is the biggest clue is they happen to find Mother Righteous, who says, oops, I was here as well. Oh, no. Um, She's lying. She's obviously lying. She obviously has something else going on here. So whatever this is, given that I think a lot of this all comes back to this fight between Dr. Stasis and Mother Righteous, which was set up in the Sinister Four or whatever that one shot was. Yeah, I think this is her game that she's playing to get back at Dr. Stasis, who's currently winning on Earth, has taken over with Orcus. But whatever her strategy is, whether it's just to wreck him or something else, I think this is her move there, potentially. And manipulating the X-Men, both sides are manipulating the X-Men just to different ends. I don't think any of she's not good. She's not no. bad, maybe, but she's definitely doing something that is uh, awkward. Uh, but the biggest thing we have to talk about, I think, is Professor X's beard. Mm-hmm. His uh, very it's getting tight beard. lustrous. I mean, I don't know how he yeah. is shaving. He was definitely scraggly and looked like Kieran Gillen last issue. Now he looks like a very rugged Kieran Gillen. Gotta say, and I would think he would have some gray in that beard, but that's a strong brown mm-hmm. he's holding. 
Yes. Because he's, what, 150 years old? Yeah, how do you feel? I, I, I'm not angry about it or anything, but it's always weird to be seeing, like, Professor X walking around with a ripped six-pack. That's strange. Well, yeah, I think he should be... I want him to be older. Like he mm-hmm. needs to be firmly older than Cyclops. Yeah. Cyclops is sort of the next guy in line, traditionally behind Professor X. He needs to be like a dad level age gap between Cyclops and Professor X. And looking at this, Cyclops honestly seems older, especially mm-hmm. he's like being tortured sort of as a as a job right now. But he, Professor X, I think, should be older, a little less ripped. He's a professor. How many ripped professors did you have in college? Do you know who he is right now? He's Jeff Bezos. He's going through a midlife crisis, working out 30 times a day, getting completely jacked. He, you know, has his island paradise that he's hanging out at with all of his friends. He's like, dude, just come by. we got a bar. We don't call him Blob anymore. And now he's Fred Dukes. He works there. It's super sweet. I got a sick setup. You got to check it out. Sick and I'm batch. single. I'm single again. Moira McTaggart, she went evil. It's cool. I don't even care. You're saying that Krakoa is now F-Boy Island? <laughs> Pretty much. Is that where, where we're at? Yeah, I think Great. so. And he's like, he's pushing all these Orcus rival suitors. He's just mm-hmm. crushing them. F-Boy he's like, of X. That's what we got to do. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wow. Why don't we move on to this week's book? Books, excuse me, because there's a lot of them. We got Astonishing Iceman, number two, written by Steve Orlando, art by Vincenzo Caruto. Children of the Vault, number two, written by Dennis Camp, art by Luca Moresca. X-Force, number 44, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Robert Gill. X-Men Red, number 15, written by Al Ewing, art by Yikdere Sinar. And yeah, I think so... Astonishing Iceman, I think we love the first issue of. We love the clarity of it. The other ones were mixed levels of confused slash intrigued. How do you feel about these four titles? I mean, only two of them are number twos, but like two issues in to follow X. Yeah, these feel this is this week is where it gets a little sort of woolly. Everything's a little off in its own pocket doing its own thing that feels somewhat essential, but these are definitely the side mission books. Mm -hmm. Uh, Astonishing X-Men, or sorry, Astonishing Iceman is really a meditation on relationships, I feel like, with using Iceman and just dealing with some wild characters and status quo for for this character. Yeah, I mean, to talk about that book a little bit, I am even more convinced that Iceman is just going to straight up disappear in the fourth issue of this series because there is so much about as he fights these different elements to try and save his mom, who has never really been very nice to him, but they have a really beautiful touching moment towards the end of the issue after, spoiler, he does save her. But between that and essentially like saying goodbye to his family and saying goodbye to his hometown and yeah. saving the hometown that hated him for most of his life to his boyfriend, to him being to his boyfriend, like you can't keep doing this. You know, you can't keep holding yeah. me together. This is too much for you. 
he's I think he's going to push himself too far and he's just going to disappear. I don't think Iceman's going to be gone forever or anything like no. that. But I I don't see a world where there isn't some sort of like let me go type moment in the yeah. fourth issue. You have to let me go. I, I think so because I think technically this Bobby Drake is not alive, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I think he's a memory that's been reconstituted by his boyfriend that yeah. a lot of the dialogue, it's not very internal, you know, like it's things yeah. that Bobby would say, but it's all about other people. It's about his mom. It's about his boyfriend. It's about these villains. It's about Orcus. It's almost like AI style, exactly. like just yeah, 100%. things that have been said. So I think that's cool. And the idea that like if the essential metaphor here is like a relationship has ended and you're holding on to the good parts – moving like glossing over the bad parts and just trying to reanimate this thing like when you try to get back together with someone if it, if it's already gone if there's been a breakup like i like that as a central idea to to build a book around especially one that is also like uh, Iceman's fighting a helium guy like th- mm-hmm. wow they don't get along like they they can't beat each other really and like it's good action on top of like a, a really interesting idea yeah and i think the focus on one character here really helps. A lot of these books are yeah. team books. There's a lot of ensemble stuff happening here. I I mean, other than Ms. Marvel, obviously, which we talked about there, which I also think had a very similar focus because you got that one character. I wish there was, there were a couple more of those in the line. I know X-Men is by nature a team book, but those are the ones that I think are really thriving because they both have very clear ideas of what they want to say. Well, it's like we said, there's too much going on in general in all of these books, in this event, and to be able to at least pare it down to one person having too much going on is better. Because the stuff going on in the Ice for Iceman is crazy complex, but at least you can just follow that spine when so mm-hmm. many of these other books, and I like a lot of them, but it's just so much jumping around that it's hard to hold on to the central story. Well, let's jump into some of those books that maybe have a little more jumping around. Children of the Vault, I think we love uh, Dennis Camp, really good, complex writer. This, this to me, I think uh, I'm okay with this. You know, what we're getting here are the Children of the Vault have now evolved into a Thunderbolt style super team where they, it seems like they're saving the world, seems like they're saving the day versus mutants who everybody hates. Everybody loves the children of the vault, but their thing is they've got a mind virus that they've infected the human populace with. And they're basically going to kill everybody on earth off probably in about six months. The only people who can stop them are Bishop and Cable. I do really like the team up of Bishop and Cable. And I think a little of what I was missing in terms of the cranky relationship between the two of the first issue is present here. But this, uh, yeah, I don't know. This doesn't quite, it feels like side to fall of X to me in a certain way, you know, just because. Yeah. Well, I think ahead. all of these feel, all of these books feel that way to me. Honestly, this one was my favorite of the week. Oh, really? Uh, so yeah, I, I like the Thunderbolts nature of the team here. I like it. It is existing next to the main storyline, but it's very clear what's happening. Bishop and Cable are going to come and just take these people down one at a time. I love their dynamic. I love seeing Cable being great. Bishop being his, the new Bishop is sort of like a little bit annoying. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a good buddy dynamic for them. And then we get into some just interesting imagery and stuff at the end of this that I was like, Oh, I'd, this is this is sort of a more abstract way of understanding this fight, which I thought was really cool and something you also don't see in a lot of 
like superhero comics in general, but especially in a major event like this. This is definitely flexing with Cable a little bit and diving into the fact that he has powers. He's usually in the Rob Liefeld mode of a jack dude with a big gun who shoots things up and he has a glowing eye and that's pretty much it. And then every once in a while he's like, ooh, my arm hurts. Uh, ship, come and get me. You know, and that's pretty much it. But here he's actually using his mutant powers and actually exploring them to your point. So that is pretty interesting. Um, that's really cool. Great line. Yeah. Well, I'm from the future and buddy, I never saw you anywhere in it. Good stuff. Just good dialogue. And I like that. Uh, what about X-Force? This is another one that I think we were a little mixed about because so much was going on. We got the Black Ops team or whatever they're called of the X-Men. We find out why they weren't there when everything went down at the Hellfire Gala because they're basically being waylaid by Colossus's evil brother. The cliffhanger of the last issue was they all went through a portal and were confronted by the evil brother. The weird choice this makes here that threw me for a good chunk of the issue is that we don't pick up there. We pick up later yeah. when they're all in different places. And I, I think the places they are interesting, but it took me a while to get out of that. Yeah. Well, I think I like the idea that the X-Force team has been taken. Like Mikhail mm -hmm. Colossus has taken them and they're like being sort of tortured slash like screwed around with this. This is uh, Omega Red, uh, uh, Wolverine, uh, Laura, and uh, Kid Omega are sort of off. They're trapped. They need help. And then we have Domino trying to track them down. I love Domino, so I'm I'm in on this. Yeah, I love the idea. I like the Domino Colossus relationship. So I I hope that's where we're, what we're getting back to, and this will be like just a great rescue mission. The, reading this struck me as this book reminds me. This is like the Doctor Who of Fall of X. Okay. Where there's all this like weird stuff that is just like, nope, that's what the status quo is. And we're going to deal with it and keep driving the story forward. Yeah. Like Domino has like a wooden arm. <laughs> like, well, that's what she's doing. So we're just going to yeah. keep doing it. And I'm not a huge Doctor Who guy, but when I watched it, especially when I was a kid, I was like, what is happening? This is so weird. And they took it all straight faced and we're just like, nope, this is sort of scary. And we're going to keep doing it and never stop. Yeah, not that everything needs to be about Orcus necessarily, but again, I think the thing that's like throwing me a little bit is the fact that the whole idea is Mikkel Rasputin is yeah. the one who's coming in and he's like, I'm going to attack during the Hellfire Gala. And he's like, oh, whoops, Orcus got there first. Okay, I'm going to do some other stuff. So he's the main villain of this book and the main driving force behind this book. But all this other stuff is going on that it really feels like X-Force should be dealing with. I assume they will get back there eventually, but it 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 still feels to me a little bit like Benjamin Percy being like, yeah, cool on that Fall of X thing. I'm going to keep doing what I was doing in X-Force. Well, I think it, this is one of the only books that had a lot of a head of steam going in front mm -hmm. of it. The rest of the books are like number ones or just like fully taking on the Fall of X direction. He's like, no, no, you're, we're using these characters. They're going to have their wooden arms. There's going to be all this other stuff happening. Black Tom's a, a part of it. And he's like less connected to Krakoa now. So like he's just taking his reality and shifting it in here. And I actually appreciate that. And mm -hmm. so I actually really enjoyed this book as well. Yeah. Uh, and the last one is X-Men Red number 15. So this is continuing this big war on Araco. And I, I got to say the best thing about this book at this point, I, I like this issue a little more than the last issue, just because 
every issue we're getting these badass storm moments, like absolutely. Yeah. That was epic. Cool. Yes, very cool. And I also, to spoil the end of the book, what we get here, and, and we touched on this a little bit before, but we're looping back to a lot of the X of Swords things, it feels like in this book yeah. is what we've eventually got to. We have this big wash of all these characters on Mars who are fighting in this civil war, but a lot of the bad guys seemed kind of off to the side. And here at the end, they all come through. Everybody from led by Genesis, that whole evil team that was fighting them during X of Swords comes through a portal, is ready to attack. And that's the moment where I felt like, okay, I'm I'm in this. And then part of that is I know that story and I didn't know the X-Men Red story up until now. But looping back to that and really amping it up, I think what you were getting at earlier is the idea of if those 250,000 missing mutants are on Mars we're potentially getting to a point where maybe Mother Righteous is like building them up as an army to fight back against Genesis and join Storm in order to toughen them up so that they can take the fight back to Dr. Stasis or something like that. That's a lot of wild speculating I just threw out there. That is. And let me say, I'm like, I all the X of Swords stuff. I mean, this is a very strange analogy, but I'm going to make it. There's a show called a sitcom called Just Shoot Me back in the day about mm-hmm. like a fashion magazine. Oh, and Storm and is a, like the Wendy Malick. The, I love that you already know what I'm talking about. No, but the, there's an episode where I think I think this is it. One of them was in a barbershop quartet when they were in college. Mm-hmm. And the barbershop quartet comes back and is like, remember, we said we were going to keep doing this. And he's like, oh, sure. And he tries it. And obviously nobody wants that. It's a disaster. That's what it feels like being like, remember all this X of sword stuff? It's the barbershop quartet you were in in college of the fall of X line. Where I'm like, I don't need to know more about this. <laughs> we did it. We don't need to go back and do more um, of this. And this book feels like it's just following these threads where I'm like, what is happening here? I, th- these characters are all over the place. And I like Al Ewing, and this feels like Al Ewing is just doing the work, getting in here and making interesting drama. Great Storm moment. But I wish this book was, we were just riding along with Storm and we were learning about this world or at least something when this feels like we have this wide POV. uh, And it's like playing Risk where you're like, what world, what earth is this? I don't understand any of these countries, these people. Who's fighting? Who do I like? Like the army shows up at the end through the gate. I'm like, yeah, man, they look mad. <laughs> so you've you've never played uh, a Risco, the Ar- yeah. risk that sells the Arisco. So, yeah, the Araka risk. I guess not. Maybe I need to invest um, forty eight hours into a very <laughs> intense game of a Risco. I, I think what we're kind of getting towards here, which I understand the feeling, and I have the feeling as well. Though I would argue it's way too early for this. Is what is the story of Fall of X and? Again, I think like it's too early to be asking that question because it hasn't been around even for really two months at this point. So we're right at the beginning of whatever this is. It's definitely at least going to run through the end of the year, if not maybe a bunch of next year as well. We know at some point down the road, there was that news about Tom Brevoort is going to be taking over the X-Men line, though definitely not until they're done telling whatever story they're doing. But That might be sometime next year, which means we're probably going to be wrapping that up at some point. So, so I don't know. I, I'm curious to see 
it's going to be interesting to look back at a couple of months like, was there an overall arc? What was the overall arc? What was the midpoint of that arc? Because right now we're at the beginning and without a timeline, it's not clear whether or not to get into like the whole act stuff with X-Men before. Are we yeah. in the first act of this still? Probably. Is there a second I would think act? So. Is there a third act? What's going to happen? So lots of questions well, there, actually. And that's, I think, what the lesson they took from Krakoa is like, oh, let's have um, a loose act system where mm-hmm. we can sort of be in act one until we feel like, okay, we aren't enjoying this as much anymore from a storytelling perspective. Now we need to shift it forward. And that's what it felt like the Hellfire Gala was. It's like, okay, now it's time to move forward. The only problem with that is it's much harder to keep what we're asking for, that spine, that through line of the story going, if you're if it's so flexible, that the next thing that happens is just an event that will happen when it happens and there aren't actual steps that we're moving through to get to that event, if that makes yeah, sense. For sure. Uh, so there we go. I think at this point we're all caught up. I know we rushed through things maybe a little bit because we had a lot of bucks to talk about. That's not going to stop because Fall of X continues next week with a ton of new books. We've got Alpha Flight number two. Now that the reveal is out there that Alpha Flight is all secretly working together, going to be interesting to see what happens there. Dark X-Men number two. Um, Havoc maybe dead? Love this chaos team. I love that chaos team. I'm ready for that. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uncanny Avengers number two, which feels like another lead book. This is Captain America leading this team. This is Jerry Dugan again. So very curious to see what happens there. It does, but that also feels like it's a little off to the side of the X-Men. I feel like Mm -hmm. Uncanny Avengers has always been a book that's like, to me, it reminds me of like the Ultimates line where it's like, oh, that's cool, but it's not the main story. It's like a fun action focused thing where some side story where some things can happen, but it's not actually the tip of the spear. Yeah. And we'll see. I think I'm feeling pretty good about next issue. We'll confirm that Captain Krakoa is in fact strife as we've been theorizing. 100%. That's our big theory. Definitely That's our that. big theory. Then we also got a big one, Uncanny Spider-Man number one, which was supposed to come out earlier, but I think got a little delayed. This is Nightcrawler in New York City dressed in a Spider-Man suit. I have no idea what that could be, but I'm curious. Why would he do that? I don't know, but honestly, I think that's cool. I agree. And How's he going to swing? Uh, I'm not sure. Bamps? Bamp swings? It's going to be... Unnecessary. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, after the weird Wolverine Ghost Rider crossover that happened in the middle, Wolverine is finally joining Fall of X. He's doing a world tour. We're going to get some sort of new status quo, and it looks like he's going to fight the Hulk. So... There you go. That's Finally. A fun, a fun time at the old comic book shop. If you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Fall of X, Apple, Spotify, Android, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok or Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Fall of X. I just saying I want to start a barbershop quartet is why I use that sort of like start a barbershop quartet start a barbershop quartet start a barbershop uh, maybe not <laughs>
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.